Welcome to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast, fitness, nutrition, and lifestyle programs created for your goals and your reality. No magic pills, no judgments, and no time to waste. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast. My name is Justin McClintock, and today I'm excited and honored to have my guest on today. Today's guest is an Olympic weightlifter for Team USA, competing and meddling nationally and internationally. She's a nutrition coach for Black Iron Nutrition, helping people move through their own body dysmorphia, learning to value their relationship with food based on how it helps them feel, perform, and be a more complete human. She's been a CrossFit coach for over nine years. She's competed at CrossFit regionals. She is sponsored by well-known supplement, fitness, apparel companies, and she especially has a passion for making fitness and nutrition accessible to marginalized groups that are often ignored or just dismissed in this discussion, including people of color and queer youth. She is also a thoughtful, caring, and extremely generous person who I personally consider not only a friend, but a resource for developing how I think about athletes, training, and creating relationships. Welcome to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast, Morgan Vazigil. I am floored. I feel like I need that to be on my resume, my bio for all my future jobs. I mean, that's amazing. I'm also really, really excited to talk with you. And um, gosh, I can, I can only hope to live up to that hype. I, I will send it over right after we're done. You can put that <laughs> on the resume. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really excited to talk with you, and I think you'll obviously get more into this, but sometimes people just want to, like, wing it and talk a little bit about me, but the idea here is, like, let's focus on one subject, let's really talk about one tactic that people can use and, and come away with some actionable pieces instead of just, like, who I am. I think that that's a little less interesting, so I'm excited to talk with you and have some structure. Me too. And I completely agree. I told you this before we started recording. I was coming up with sort of podcast topic ideas and started digging into some pretty specific mindset stuff. And I just stopped where I was and sent you an invitation asking if you would do this because like, I want to talk about Morgan with this. And mm -hmm. we're talking about mindset. Before we get super specific for mindset, like in priority with all the things an athlete has to deal with, how important would you rate mindset? I think it's everything. I think it's like the new phenomenon of sports development. Like if you talk to anybody that's been working with machines and technologies and data tracking devices and you say, hey, what's next on the forefront of fitness? People will say the six inches between the ears. That's the new uncharted territory. And there's been a lot of uh, both anecdotal and quantitative and scientific data that says sports are played by the body, but one by the mind. And yet somehow we have let it be something that's on the back burner, something that we don't talk about. It's very unsexy for some reason. So we don't talk about it. Now, I completely agree. Why do you think that is? Why do you think people don't? Is it because it's not sets and reps, so we can't just break it down and do, you know, have an 85% mindset day? And Yeah, I think it's less tangible. And it seems like this very ambiguous, a daunting, overwhelming concept, like how to be mindful. And it's also mindfulness gets associated with like sort of this like woo-woo culture of like granola and meditation and hippies. And that's usually at the polar opposite end of these people who are focused on sports development. You know, we're very chasing the numbers. We're very data oriented. And so we are less in touch with our brain sometimes and our feelings because of that. I think that in the same way that therapy is now becoming 
more widely more acceptable. accepted, yeah, something that yeah. people talk about. I think that now we might start to see that transfer over into all areas of one's life. So CEO development, um, people who are in high pressure jobs, pilots, or overseas in the military, and obviously athletes as well. Yeah, completely. And you mentioned CEOs. This is something that's been in the business world for a long time. People get paid big, big money to come talk to business people and traders and hedge fund guys and all that stuff about mindset. I wanted to specifically talk about the paralysis by analysis issue. And what I mean, that could mean a bunch of things. I was thinking of it as sort of smart, experienced athletes getting in their own way, sort of people over analyzing everything, finding issues in every single crack crevice, every lift, every Insta video, whatever. Does that resonate with you? Oh, for sure. I mean, I am not sure if I have ever suffered from that diagnosis, but I do think that it's pretty indicative of like what somebody's internal dialogue is on a day-to-day basis. So if you become hyper-focused on the negatives or the less thans in your training, I can safely assume that that's the narrative you have in your daily life as well, uh, whether it comes to job performance, friendships, in your relationship. And so I think that there's a lot of work that can be done there, and we can sort of hide it under the illusion of, oh, I want you to be a better athlete, but also I want you to practice positive self-talk. I want you to be more accepting, patient, and uh, have more grace with yourself. And I think that we can focus your entire state of being on being less outcome oriented and more process oriented. And so it's like a red flag for me to say that somebody is hanging on to maybe the wrong things that they should be focusing on. If someone is doing that, hanging on these things, what is the outcome of that sort of negative headspace or over analytic headspace? Is it just, is it a mental block? Do you see like physical performance decline? Yeah, I mean, anything and everything, even your love for the sport or whatever thing you're doing, you're just less likely to come back tomorrow. Because if you leave each session feeling like my left arm isn't pulling as quickly as my right arm, I'm just never going to get the hang of this, then what are the odds that you're going to feel emotionally fulfilled or psychologically empowered enough to come back and do that day after day? So you'll definitely see a decline in fun, passion, dedication to the sport overall, but you're also just going to become, we want to keep you looking at the big bucket as much as possible, the tiny teacups and the granules and the small thermoses. So basically if you're to drop every problem, if you were to give it some perspective and see, you know, is this a big bucket issue or is this a tiny teacup issue? People that are innately focused on the small teacups are going to feel inundated and overwhelmed with all of the progress that they have left to make, as opposed to those larger generic blanket issues, like, am I holding on to my positions better? Am I performing under fatigue better? Am I able to access some like new recruitment patterns that I couldn't when I first began? So being able to focus on the larger big bucket issues and improvements, that's just going to keep somebody feeling way more empowered by their journey instead of beat down by it. Completely. I agree. It, it, it sucks all the fun out of it. And we know that, you know, training every day, however often you're training, like it's not always fun. And we, we certainly talk a lot about like having to get in the gym and just sort of like move the dirt where you need to move the dirt and the fun will come. And like everyone has like, okay days. But if you're focused on every little tiny thing that wasn't exactly perfect, 
it's very unlikely that you're even going to, I've seen it all the time, athletes who PR a lift, do something they've never done before. And the first thing they talk about is, oh, well, you know, I got a little loose here. or This mm-hmm. wasn't as fast as mm-hmm. it could be or 90 other cues that I didn't give them. I don't know where these things are coming from. And they're just poking holes in it. Now, where do you think, what's the cause of this stuff? I is don't it, know what is that it, is. Is it coaches? Yeah. Is it is it social media stuff? Is it is it chasing this perfect thing that isn't? Is it just like athletes bringing their own trauma and baggage? Like, how does this stuff get built up? Oh, that is, it drives me crazy. It, okay, and that is so smart of you. And I feel like when I talk to other like, you know, people in the fitness industry, we're just like, try to be better. But you're talking about trauma and baggage. And that's exactly what I think it is. I think it's worthiness. I don't think that people truly believe that they deserve happiness or joy and they don't want to sit in their accomplishments because that makes them feel really uncomfortable to actually praise themselves to recognize their accolades to be satisfied feels like really scary for some people and I think that that can be a byproduct of social media like hey I just snatched 90 kilos that's great for me but oh she did 100 last Tuesday I still have so much to go some of that can be uh, further reinforced from like social media and the idea of comparing yourself. But I think it's just people are so scared to love themselves. People are really scared to sit in pride. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I talk about this with my nutrition clients a lot too. It's um, we want to find the more sustainable way to be successful, right? So one of the first concepts that we talk about with nutrition is like decision fatigue. If you leave yourself five minutes left to prepare your meal after all day of deciding what the kid is going to wear, what did the boss want to do? How did I want to word this email? By the time you get time to make dinner, you don't want to make any more decisions. And that's when you face plan to something that might not align with your goals. And I think it might be the same thing with training is it's like, if you analysis fatigue, yeah, if you are constantly beating yourself up for not being good enough and not really feeling the joy of all the hard work that you put in, then you're going to face plant into something that doesn't align with your goals, which is usually quitting or injury or just having a shitty time. Yeah, we, we sometimes refer to it as a diminishing your own achievements, people who immediately will do a thing. And then oh yeah, but you know, so-and-so is stronger or I could have been better or they like immediately like they built a thing and maybe the thing's perfect, maybe it's not, but it's a new thing and they just start chipping it away away at it right away and can't even like take a second and enjoy that they got this new thing. Mm -hmm. It's a whole thing. Mm -hmm. I really like the idea of uh, sustainable success, building it so you can keep going. Mm -hmm. We know, and I think you'll agree with this, like most people aren't perfectly balanced. Like everyone has little imbalances, little things that aren't quite right. They're different side to side. They, their body, you know, femur is a little bit longer than someone else's, but also not everything is a problem. Maybe you pull a little harder with your right shoulder than your left shoulder, but unless you're doing something pretty specific, like you spend a lot of your time doing, maybe that isn't a problem. And maybe this is uh, more as a coach than an athlete. I'm not sure. How do you decide if something is an issue that should be dealt with or if it can be just fine? Like if you watch someone move and you have this very experienced coach's eye and you see six things that could be fixed, Mm -hmm. you're not going to talk about all six of them because you're not a monster. But like, what do you decide (laughs) to just throw away and never talk about? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I think that comes with coaching age and experience is because Mm -hmm. you are selling a service, something that again, we want people coming back tomorrow. We want people to feel like they're making progress and they can feel really proud of the work that they're doing. And Mm -hmm. so I think that I was guilty of this too, 
being able to notice something doesn't make you a good coach. Anybody can see that the left side is squatting harder than the right side. There's some shifting and tilting in the hips. Being able to triage in a way that keeps the athlete safe, has them achieve the stimulus that you're intending, and has them walking away feeling like they did something successful, that's what makes a good coach. It doesn't matter if they need to stagger their stance in the split jerk. It doesn't matter if they need to change their grip on the bar before the snatch because their one lat overperforms. If they can successfully make progress and feel good about themselves, that's the stimulus that we're looking for as coaches. That's our main objective. So as an athlete also, I do think that I am dealing with like a recent hamstring injury. And so I have gotten lost in watching my videos and seeing that my left heel pops off of the ground, right? Like when the bar is around my knee and I had a good period of months of watching myself do that. And without, and like, that was the only thing you could see. It was it. And if it was, whether I made the lift or not, I was still seeing the heel pop up. And that to me was indicative of like, fear, re-injury, lack of technical process or gain. And I just had to stop. I just had to stop looking because I was completely lost in feeling what the lift should look like. I didn't have any more bearing on like, what is my style of the clean? What other cues can help me extend for longer or reorient myself back into my heel? If it does pop off the ground, all I was seeing was the negative, the negative, the negative. And I completely lost touch with what it feels like to lift. And so I think that as a coach and an athlete, it's really easy to focus on the little things. There's also, there's Olympians that start with asymmetrical stances. There are people that purposefully, like I said, stagger their stance in the clean. So typically we want both of your feet right underneath of your hips, underneath of the Mm -hmm. bar. But if you have less ankle mobility in one leg than the other, then you might want it to start a little forward of that line. And so you'll start with an asymmetrical stance before the jerk. So we can all overcome discrepancies, deficiencies, loopholes, asymmetries. There's not one way to succeed. Everyone isn't going to fit in this perfect cookie cutter of what an athlete or what a lift looks like. Like, Mm -hmm. as you just said, people who perform at a very high level sometimes look really weird. And then people get sucked into a loophole of trying to mimic so-and-so's lifting style. We're like, no, you're not, you're not going to squat jerk that weight. You're just not. I know, I know Luke can do it. I know, I know he can't, but for all these, all these reasons that uh, he can do it, there's all these reasons you're never going to get there. Mm-hmm. And I just want to double back on something you said a minute ago. Like when you're working with an athlete and you notice things going wrong, a good coach will set them up so they're continuing to make progress at s- some degree and continuing to see results. And you can do that and still have small problems, small you know technical failures. All of that can be going on and still be moving forward still be getting stronger, still be healthy, all of these things, because it's very unlikely you're ever going to have, you know, that, you know, 100% perfect technique. There's almost always something that could maybe be a little bit better, which is also the reason people can continue progressing. Yeah. And what's the buy-in from the client? Like, is my average Mm -hmm. person that wants to come in and sweat for an hour going to go to acupuncture and four times a week PT and have grasped in and active release therapy done because their left oblique is firing stronger than their right? No. What they want to do is they want to come in, they want to see their friends, they want to get incrementally better at these larger concepts, and then they want to go home and be with their friends and eat their normal food and live life. 
So you've also got to meet people where they're at. On that, what about the person who really likes exercising but has a job, is never going to likely do this professionally, but they take it really seriously? I can imagine one of them hearing that and be like, oh, okay, like, as long as I like get my body work done, Morgan says I can go a little crazy and you know, really dig in and finally make my left shoulder perfect. Mm-hmm. How does this like as as a highly competitive athlete, how does this sort of like over analyzing getting stuck and stuff uh, work for you? How do you work your way out of it? I think that when you try to look back at and this is usually like, how do I react to situations or confrontation? When you try to look back at your life, let's say it's my 90th birthday party. Do I want to be remembered as the athlete that was really good at pulling symmetrically, the athlete that got hyper-focused on every detail, the athlete that snatched 95 for the first time but was like, oh, yeah, but there was a press out, right? I want to be known for, (laughs) like, my resilience and my courage and my dedication showing up every day, but also – going to weddings and having drinks with my wife in the sunshine and going to the beach and not counting every single macro. Like I think that zooming out and looking at your life from a bird's eye perspective has been really helpful with me understanding where my balance lies because I have definitely tipped the scale on the edge of being way too focused on the lifting and the eating and the recovering and losing out on parts of like I'm fairly young and I want to go travel and I want to see things and I want to be spontaneous with my friends. And I don't want to accidentally look back at this and be like, why did I spend so much time looking at my left heel coming off the ground? You know, am I really enjoying my day-to-day process? And do you think that stuff like living a more, what I would consider like a more complete life and being a little, giving yourself a little more flexibility. Have you seen that make you a better athlete? hundred percent. And I tell this to my nutrition clients too. I will give them the homework of eat a meal without using a food scale because that is not the point of living to have everything weighed and measured and tracked. And so we'll actually see people come in with like hyper meticulous logs. And I'll say, this is a red flag for me. Like, what is your daily life? Like you can do all of that to your food all the time. Or I'll have CrossFit affiliate owners who are also competitive athletes and their only identity exists in sport. And so their homework is to take a 15 minute walk where they have to listen to a podcast that has nothing to do with sports and nutrition and just be in the sun and remember who they are as a human because we have so much more to offer than the 60 to 90 minutes of what we do in in the gym. And I think that that relieves some of the pressure too. Like for me saying that I want to make the Pan Am team in the next two or three years, all that did for me was made me tunnel vision on how much work I have to do in the next two to three years. And that was so overwhelming. And it was brutal to go into the gym every day and know that this is going to be it for the next like three years. But when I started to think about, God, I, I love the fact that I can just grab a coffee and go take the train and listen to the birds and feel the sun. And I get to see my friends while I train. And I have a work schedule that allows me to take off when I need to, to compete. And I have a wife that supports me and I get to listen to this song today, or I could listen to this song. When you sort of like remember the things that make you human and aren't just all about the the outcome that you're chasing. Yeah. I mean, in the last three or four weeks alone, I would say my training has immensely improved from finding that perspective again. That's so good. Yeah, because that that tunnel vision can really leave a person feeling like they're not enough Mm -hmm. or like you'll never be enough. 
but it's easy to see how that kind of thing you could just build a wall of well i can't and i nevers and all that stuff that you're facing down every single day mm-hmm. yeah hunter elon made a really good post yesterday saying like sometimes when she looks at everything and she's like in contention mm-hmm. for 2024 paris she sure. looks at all of the things she has left to improve and she feels like completely overwhelmed and a little discouraged but the alternative would be is like, what if we were at the top of our sport? Like, what if I was the best 64 in the world right now? What would I have? Like, I, I want this pain and suffering of trying, right? Like, I want this consistent dedication to improving. I want to fight and I want to feel like I climbed my way to the top. And if you just, if I woke up tomorrow and I just had nothing to work on, I mean, I think that that's the nature of, your personality when you get really invested in a sport, whether you want to be competitive against yourself or the world or internationally, you are there because you're looking to get better. And, and this is, this is your why is because you want to show up and suffer and see how you can get a little bit better every day. And so if you just had greatness handed to you, you might not be that satisfied. And you would still want to do the next thing. Like the destination is never the final destination, Mm -hmm. wherever you get, as soon as you get there, you know, you have a swig of champagne and look around and be like, well, now what? Now we're well, doing now the next what? thing. Yeah. And, and even like exactly... the greatest champions in the world. Yeah. They, they're always, they're not, they're still not satisfied and they still want to keep going. Yeah. And that's exactly why when you do the lift and you, you critique yourself, it's because you can't even spend one second in that moment of feeling happy and proud and accomplished because you're already on to the next thing. And I mean, if you take away one thing from this podcast, it's like, that's not what makes you better. That's not what makes you a good mm-hmm. athlete is sure. There's this fine line of always expecting more of yourself and wanting to succeed and progress, but fine athletes, the way that they last, the way that they show longevity in the sport is by truly relishing in the small accomplishments that they make. So if you're trying to be this cool, like big, bad professional athlete and not celebrate your wins. That's not how you do it. Yes. <laughs> this is why I wanted you on for this thing. <laughs> Since we're talking about people going crazy, analyzing their stuff in the gym, when and how do you decide that the solution might be somewhere outside of the gym? When is it? Well, actually, this might be a body work thing or it might be a therapy thing or it might be a, you know, I need more recovery. Like actually the answer to my, my, my deadlift problem is actually a rest day. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that that is what type of relationship do you have with your athlete? So it can be harder in gen pop classes. Like if you're a CrossFit coach and you see 15 to 20 people a day and for an hour, but it is part of our job to get a wholer picture, a fuller picture of what these athletes are dealing with. And so if I know that somebody is um, going through a breakup or a big move, or if somebody is brand new to town and doesn't know anybody, I think those are a lot of things that we can take into account. I think it's easier for me as a nutrition coach because some of the questions that we field are very personal. So we'll ask specifically yeah, sure. about what stressors are you going through right now? What is your sleep looking like? What did your frequency of recovery look like in regards to your training? Did that change? Did it increase or decrease? Asking the right questions will get you that sort of information. Completely. I want to be respectful of your time. I had one more sort of mini subject on this I wanted to ask you about. How do you deal with it differently as an athlete than as a coach? Do you necessarily suggest that people do the things you do or explore things that didn't work for you but might work for them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. 
And you're saying specifically in regards to like mindset work or mindfulness training? Completely, yeah. So the greatest toolbox that I have are the things that I've done. And so I can either say, this didn't work for me, but you're totally like welcome to try it. Or I could mm -hmm. say, these things have been really effective for the 20 out of 25 people that I recommended it to. So like, I kind of have a feeling that this will be helpful for you. The great news is because mindfulness or mindset work is so untapped, literally any suggestion that I give to somebody, that is a light bulb moment for them. That is this huge revelatory practice because people aren't just taking 15 minutes of walking in the sun with no stimulus to feel connected to their body again. People aren't listening to instrumental music tracks and trying to follow the one instrument from start to finish. People are very inexperienced in this world. And so really any first practice, any first tactic that you give them will have some applicable and helpful outcomes. So I'll give them everything, things that have worked for me, things that haven't. I like recommending books too. So everybody mm -hmm. talks about Tim Grover um, yep. wrote that book on, I think it's called Unstoppable. And it was like a bestseller and it was a hit and it was all about being like a cleaner or a closer. I hated it. I didn't like it at all. And it's like top five. I can't five imagine you would. <laughs> yeah. That's so not like you though. Yeah. And it was, it's recommended mm -hmm. to me by multiple people, including my coach. And I gave it a shot. And, and here's the thing yep. is I don't care what works for you, but we need to find something that does. And so now that's in my toolkit. And just because it didn't work for me doesn't mean that it won't work for you. So anything and everything is what I'll recommend. Yeah, but you're happy to pass it on. This is many people have found this a very valuable tool, but it doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How does a coach avoid becoming part of this the problem with an athlete's mindset? I've certainly I have I am sure I have done it as a coach, like given too many cues or somehow contradicted myself or let something slip out that I didn't realize what's affecting an athlete's psyche, maybe a little joke. I was trying to be funny and it didn't mm. land the way it was supposed to be. How, how does a coach avoid becoming part of the problem with an athlete's mindset? Okay. So I have two sort of automatic responses to that. One is we're all human and we're going to make mistakes. And so one thing that I really like my coach does is he'll come up to me and he'll be like, Hey, I really liked that you asked me for what you needed. I'm still trying to get better at that. And so that buys him some, vulnerability with me. Like we have more of a trusting relationship. I accept that, okay, he's still learning how to communicate with me in an effective way. And so by giving him more feedback, he is only going to better be able to serve me. So if, and when I say something that I kind of regret, or I feel like it lands wrong, the very first thing you need to do is be an adult and be like, listen, I was, I was trying to make light of the situation. I don't know if it rubbed you the wrong way. And that's going to create like an openness in communication with your athlete, because we are professionals, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to make mistakes. The second thing that I think we should do is be really, really cognizant of our language and the things that we are celebrating. So language mm -hmm. shapes our values. And we, as a community, have a desire to be coherent and, and cohesive and fall in line with our values, right? So if I go into a gym and people are like, whoa, do you see the way he threw out 30 bar muscle-ups and that 225 clean and jerk? I am automatically getting feedback that that's what's important, doing a lot of reps and doing a heavy barbell load. That's what these people like, and that's what it takes for me to be good. But if you say, oh, my gosh, I know that you had a rough day, and I cannot believe the effort that you put into that workout. I can't believe how you stayed moving up until we called three, two, one, go. I can't believe that you got that last box jump in, even though you were smoked from the heavy row. Now what we're praising is effort and 
dedication and resilience. And that's the kind of community that, I mean, at least at our gym, we're looking to foster. So as a coach, I want to be really, really careful that I'm not just celebrating heavy snatches. What I'm doing is I'm finding yeah. the personality and the characteristic traits in somebody that make them the type of athlete we want to work with. And that's what we promote. That's what we celebrate. Completely. I think of all your language, like if you identify your values, which takes a second, and if you're listening to this and you don't know what your values are, I would actually stop and write them down. Like what are things that you maybe admire in other people or admire in yourself or the sort of person, coach, athlete, exerciser, mover you want to be? And if it all comes from that, it gets very simple. In our gym, I don't think we ever talk about how someone looks mm -hmm. because you never know how people are. You don't know what they value with that. And we value the effort so much more than the achievement mm -hmm. because there's always somebody stronger and faster. There's always going to be a thing. And you might be stronger and faster next year or not. Mm -hmm. And you may have been stronger and faster five years ago or not. But continuing with that effort level is the really hard part. And frankly, I think the really admirable part. I think that's tremendous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally on the same page. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, Morgan Bosibule. Is there anything, how do people find you? How do they get in touch with you? What should they, what, what should people do? Yeah. So I would love for them to find me on Instagram at Morgan Boz. That is where I am the most vocal and the more active. If you are interested in working with me as a nutrition coach, you can find me on the black iron website. There's also links to find me in my Instagram bio. Um, and that is the best way to reach out to me with any questions you might have about mindset or mindfulness training. I'm always happy to entertain those conversations because again, it is time to start talking about it. I completely agree. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we will do this again sometime in the future. I'm sure I will write down another question and say, Morgan is exactly the person to talk about this. And then I will beg you for your time. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you everyone so much for listening. Please visit us at feelstrong.me Find us on Instagram at feelstrongfit. You can DM us to get started, pick our brain, rate and review us on iTunes. Please, five stars there. It makes a really big difference. And folks, remember, we don't work with everyone, but we'll talk to anyone. If you're ready to get started today, so are we. Thank you again, and feel strong.